Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips The Monkey House by Nick Ford Read by Stephen Critchley It was not, the child decided, quite as she'd remembered. The building before her, well, it didn't look all that much. It wasn't the magnificent fortified enclosure of her memory, certainly. It was decrepit, to be honest, a bit run down. Less a castle, more a small maze of crumbling brick and iron bars almost rusted through. It was a forgotten corner of the zoo covered almost from top to bottom with aggressive foliage and angry vines, and fronted by high wooden doors that she also didn't remember. Frankly, nothing was the same at all. It was months since she'd last visited this enclosure, of course, and the hegemonic state menagerie, that was what Nurse said it was called, did have a reputation for regularly rearranging itself when people weren't looking. So maybe she'd taken a wrong turn back at the arachnids. Quickly, she pulled the zoo guide from her satchel and flicked through its pages with her proboscis. This was impolite, she knew, but honestly, she had no choice. What with her other hand holding the satchel itself and the third and fourth busy keeping dollikins, the stuffed spine petal toy, safe. And her nose was perfectly skilled at turning pages, so... She found the right section quickly enough. The monkey house. Yes, this was it, apparently. The child was about to search out an explanation for its current disrepair when a snatch dragon lunged at her and knocked the guide from her hand. She scowled and slapped at it, and the flower quickly withdrew, hissing. Not only had the enclosure been left to the elements, the plants here had been allowed to run riot too. They positively fizzled with aggression as one approached. If one were not careful, one might find an amusingly shaped bite or two taken from a flapping ear by a lunging, razor-toothed flower as one walked past. That was what Nurse said, anyway. The child didn't care what Nurse said, though. It was worth braving the Snatch Dragons for, this lost kingdom, if what she remembered were true. It might not hold exhibits as fashionable as other, more modern parts of the zoo. The lizard realm that her friend Albedy liked so much, for example or Cousin Kiri's favoured mollusk enclosure. And it had, she had to admit this, whiffed a bit that last time, particularly it being the summer and the inhabitants having got especially ripe. But it had been worth it. Oh, yes, it had. And for those very inhabitants, the monkeys, they made her laugh so much with their cute expressions and their hilariously small noses their pitifully limited number of arms, and the almost intelligent look in their eyes, and their constant questions whenever she got close enough. Those were just hilarious too. Why am I here? What have I done to you? You can't lock me up. Don't you know who I am? I was at a party. This isn't fair. Why, oh why, oh why can't you just let me go? Yes, it was worth braving the Snatch Dragons and the trouble she'd been with Nurse just to see the stupid, desperate, so very funny monkeys once more. Child, where are you? Have you got lost again? Come back, you silly girl. I'll tan your hide. 
The sound of Nurse's desperate trumpeting drifted across from the far side of the zoo. It was quiet and muted for all its urgency, a good twenty minutes run distant in the child's estimation. The menagerie was an inordinately large place, and she was inordinately good at becoming lost when she so chose. But Nurse's proboscis was inordinately sensitive, even for one of her species, and annoyingly good at sniffing out errant children. So she'd soon be on her way. Twenty minutes then, to laugh at the monkeys. No time to waste. The child slapped at another snatch dragon as it attempted to take a chunk from an arm, then ducked through the high doors to the gloom of the monkey's domain inside. There were fewer environments in the monkey house this time, she was sure of it, but the monkeys themselves would be just as much fun as before. The area behind the doors was split into separate monkey enclosures, spaced around a central quadrangle, big enough for a hundred of her kind to comfortably stand and stare and point and poke at the inmates. Today, she was the only one present, however, and the central region echoed eerily to the sound of her heavy footsteps instead. The first cage resembled an alien monkey garden of some kind, all tall-leaved plants, curiously shaded green instead of the more normal blue. Strangely unanimated and not at all vicious. Hardly real plants at all. But there, in the cage's centre, sitting on a stone bench, was a monkey. Her first monkey of the day. A female, by the look of it. Its stupidly flat face sitting beneath wreaths of curly fur, and its two, just two, hands picking the petals from an insensible flower. It stood up and approached the bars with what, curiously, looked like a smile on its face. Hello, it said. What's your name? The child was a little taken aback. This was not the same sort of pleading, begging question the monkeys had asked last time, and it was distinctly less amusing than she had been expecting. But just then, what sounded like a small cough echoed from the back of the cavernous room, and the monkey's demeanour changed. Oh yes, of course, it said, wrinkling its flattened nose into something that might have been distress. I mean, oh, woe is me! Let me go, you monster! It daintily made a small fist and lightly banged the rusty iron bar, which bowed a little. The monkey quickly pulled it back into place. That was more like it, though, the child thought. Any minute now it would start shouting and pleading, and that wet stuff would spring from its eyes. This was what the child had come to see. Don't over-egg it, Nissa, came a nervous voice from another environment further inside, or we'll never get out of here. Ah! The child thought, there's another one. Without a further care for the female, she ran straight to a cage containing rows of small chairs and tables. Its rear walls were covered with maps and posters and strange scribbles that could have been writing. The child realized suddenly that it looked almost like Nurse's lesson room. A monkey male sat on one of the desks, facing out through the bars. This one was, in the child's opinion, playing its part slightly better than the first. It had an air of fear about it, a bit of urgency. Its bare knees shook when it saw her. Go on then, monkey, the child demanded. Ask me. 
The male scowled at her, obviously railing at being told what to do, but not daring to defy the being outside the bars. Why won't you let us go? It asked pleadingly. Why have you imprisoned us like this? And did you have to put me in a school of all places? The child snorted in hilarity, raising her proboscis to the roof at the temerity of the creature, as if it could tell it weren't in its own home. But the monkey had said us. Of course, the child realized. If there were these two, there must be others also. Hungrily, she ran from the male. Hang on, it said, I was still talking, past cages that looked empty and forgotten to another environment, clean and luminous, containing a second female monkey, dressed all over in some kind of purple uniform. This monkey, however, had none of the first female's open brightness, nor the trepidation of the male. Instead, it was glowering anger, plain and simple. I want to make it quite clear, it stated with a draw like a snatched dragon's teeth. I have never worked check-in in my life. How dare you? Again, a small cough from the rear of the quadrangle. The female monkey sighed. All right, have it your own way. It sneered through gritted teeth, and then, much to the child's surprise, proceeded to pantomime the monkey's usual begging tone. Oh, why won't you let us go? What have we ever done to you, etc., etc., et ruddy cetera? Thank you, Tegan, that's quite enough, came a weary voice from a narrow blue wooden shed at the rear. A cramped sleeping quarters of some kind, she assumed. There was a cardboard sign attached to the bars of the cage. It simply read, Beware. In front of the blue shed stood a monkey, a male, youngish and palish, dressed top to bottom in a variety of dull brown fabrics. There was a plant attached to its lapel that the child was sure would go for its throat in a moment, before remembering that the monkey's flora didn't do that sort of thing. This monkey wasn't playing by monkey rules either, much to the child's consternation. Again, no air of panic or pleading. Instead, it stood there patiently, holding in its modicum of hands a small ceramic cup containing a steaming brown liquid from which it occasionally sipped. It eyed her expectantly. The impertinence. Zoo exhibit should know their place. She, deciding to have none of it, eyed the creature back. They both waited for the other to make the first move. Suddenly, there was a commotion from outside the monkey house and the tall doors were thrown wide. The child's nurse marched in and across the quadrangle, past one exhibit after another, trumpeting her anger with every stride. There you are, you naughty girl. Come here at once. The nurse grabbed the child roughly by the ear and proceeded to land soft, admonishing blows on her head with her proboscis. How dare you run off like that? Whatever are you doing here? I thought this display had been closed down. And we were due at the lizard realm 15 minutes ago for a talk about the invasion. The nurse pulled the child away, rushing to get her out of the monkey house and on to her already missed appointment. Even so, the child twisted around to look at the monkey again. As she was forcibly removed, it raised its cup to her in salute. Good to meet you at last, Milan, it said. I'm sure we'll cross paths again. Oh, by the way, and here it smiled. 
I'm the doctor. The child's world had circled its star many times before she visited the monkey house again. By now, she was approaching adulthood and training hard for the tasks she had been assigned. Although assigned was hardly the word. Grudgingly permitted after years of pestering would be closer. The more cynical observer might infer that this was the benefit of an uncle high up in the military, and they'd be right. This time, when she gave the high school educational party the slip, she did not need the zoo guide to find the monkey house. It was exactly where she'd found it the last time, and in precisely the same state of disrepair. Thank the hegemon it hadn't fallen any further into ruin, at least. Her training was going well. She excelled at every subject, exercise and manoeuvre and as such was supremely aware, this time, of exactly how many minutes she'd have before being discovered by the tutors and dragged back to the Lycee for punishment. Seventeen and eighty-two seconds exactly. Just enough time to find that mysterious monkey and ask him the question that had been burning her since she had last seen him all those years before. How did you know my name? She pushed through the tall doors, substantially less tall now, she having grown so much, and on to the habitats. By this time, she ignored the monkeys she had dallied with previously. The smiling and waving female, forgetting herself once again, the still scared-looking male, half hiding behind a desk, and the purple one, who simply flicked a paperclip at her and headed straight for the final habitat. The one at the back. The one with the sleeping shed. The one that enticingly said, Beware. The tall beige monkey was there, just where she'd left him, still sipping at the liquid in the cup, as if no time had passed at all. It eyed her nonchalantly, expectantly again, just as it had before. She stared back. The contest, having been interrupted by Nurse the last time, still hadn't been decided. And she was sure that she could win. She was right. The monkey was the first to break the silence. Hello again, Milan, it said. Thank you for coming back. You've grown. Once again, she found herself taken aback. So many things to ask. But first, there was the question of etiquette. You shouldn't use my name, you know, she told the monkey. It's too familiar. It's rude to use names. And anyway, you shouldn't know it, of course. Of course, the monkey said. Typical militaristic culture. Anonymize the competent, minimize the casualty. You're Thrandahar, aren't you? It knew her species, too. How? I confirm nothing, monkey. Please, he replied. Call me Doctor. Not a name, just a title. Is that polite enough for you? She blinked at it, but refused to comment. It could ask her whatever it wanted. She'd never give a reply. Her training was too good for that. She wouldn't break. The monkey knelt on its side of the bars, so that its head was now only a span or so above hers, and leant forward gently. Its eyes, she found, were intelligent, almost like a real person's. Is there anything you'd like to know, Milan? 
it asked. Suddenly she found she couldn't hold back any more. She took hold of five of the cage's rusting iron bars, one in each of her hands, and the last, most impolitely, in her proboscis, and pulled herself up to the level of the monkey, so that they could at last converse eye to eye. How do you know my name, monkey? she demanded. A doctor, the monkey admonished. She ground her teeth. Doctor, how do you know my name, doctor? You know an old friend of mine, he replied evenly, or at least you shall. She told me all about you. Utter nonsense. The monkey was obviously mad. She was beginning to regret this whole idea of stealing away from the school party. But if she were to lead the mission, she needed some extra intel. Something to put her ahead of the other contenders for the captaincy. One more try. This planet of yours. Terror, is it? Or Earth, the doctor replied. That's where the original inhabitants of these cages were from. But it's not really mine. I'm just rather fond of it. What are its defences? Well, one hardly likes to boast. What do you mean, the original inhabitants? She interrupted abruptly. The monkey's words suddenly registering. The demeanour of the doctor changed. Suddenly, he was less friendly, more serious, more accusatory. I sent them home, he said severely. You think it's impolite to use names. Let me tell you, it's far less polite to imprison people. And I don't stand for that sort of thing. They weren't in prison, she replied. They were specimens for study. Their every need was taken care of. They probably didn't even notice they were here. But the tutors said. But immediately, she realized that wasn't true. The monkeys pleading, begging requests when she had first come. The hilarious demands to be set free that had made her laugh so hard. Now, she could see that every one of the monkeys knew they'd been taken, and not a single one wanted to be there. Of course, what they wanted wasn't important. What else are we meant to do if we're to understand these... you... creatures? Well, the doctor said slowly, you could always visit. That's what we're going to do, of course, she responded quickly, condescendingly. How stupid was the doctor? Couldn't he see? It was moments before she realized what she'd given away. Yes, that's exactly what I thought, the doctor growled, and she quaked a little under his gaze. It's what you Thranderhard do, isn't it? Visit and steal. How many planets have you visited now? Ten? Twenty? And how many of their inhabitants are left? It's a cultural exchange, she replied defensively. We bring the benefits of our culture. We bring flowers. I've met your flowers, came a voice from one of the habitats behind, the male in the schoolroom. Nearly had my arm off. Cultural exchanges, the doctor said dryly, usually don't require peonies with teeth. Or guns, for that matter. And usually more than one side survives. Genocide is what it is. No more, no less. And as I've already told you, Milan, I really don't tolerate that sort of thing. The force of the doctor's anger almost knocked her off her feet. 
and she started scrambling backwards to get out of the awful place. Who could have told it would have gone like this? She loved the monkeys, always had. It wasn't wrong for her to want to go and see their planet, was it? And if the only way to get there was as part of the Cultural Exchange Force, well, so be it. Surely. And then she knew she had to tell him. Let him know what she and he had done. It's me that's made it happen, monkey, she shouted at the doctor, suddenly belligerent. I made them target terror again. They were going to ignore it. Forget this exhibit existed. They didn't think it was worth it, but I reminded them, told them about the monkeys, told them about you. You made this happen as much as I did. She expected him to be angry, to admonish her, to utterly deny his part in it. But to her surprise, all that happened was a look of immense sadness came to his face. I know, Milan. I know. I know what we've done. All I'm trying to do now is to undo it. The planet circled its star again and again, and Milan grew finally into a fine young adult Thrand, with a proboscis slender and coloured like the sunset, each of her four arms long and strong, and a mind as sharp as a snatched dragon's bite. She was truly a beauty, and truly wise. Truly a captain of the Cultural Exchange Force, at least in waiting. Which is why it was strange, she felt, that the night before she led her force on its mission to terror, the night before she became the latest Thrandahar captain to take their culture to a new and unsuspecting people, the night before she started the invasion that would culturally exchange that world into oblivion. Strange indeed that she found herself back in the monkey house. It was the darkest hour of the night when all good Thrandahar were asleep and all good monkeys too, it seemed. The smiling female in the first habitat was curled up on its bench. The male monkey in the schoolroom was stretched across a couple of desks. Even the angry female in what was apparently check-in was snoring gently in a chair behind the desk. Only the doctor, cup still in hand, was awake. Good evening, Milan he said, as impolite as ever. I thought I might see you tonight. Tomorrow's the big day, isn't it? How did you know? She asked quietly. How do you know everything? Oh, I read a lot, the tall monkey replied. And I keep my nose to the grindstone and ear to the ground. He coloured a little. Not aphorisms the Thrandahar would be terribly fond of, I suppose. Apologies. Yes, it's tomorrow, she replied glumly. They made me the captain. Tomorrow we take our ships and fly through space, for the hegemon knows how long. And then we land on terror, and we let loose the flowers, and then we take the planet. She paused. The monkey's planet. Yours. Beginning to doubt the plan, the doctor asked. I... I don't know, 
It always seemed so clear when I was growing up. All the creatures in the zoo, they were ours to laugh at. Why shouldn't we have their planets? And now? Now, I'm not so sure. It's almost like, like your people too. Well, you're having a conversation with me, and not the first. That's something of a clue, isn't it? I think so, yes. So, this is wrong? The doctor sighed. Yes, it's wrong. Very wrong indeed. Suddenly he brightened. <laughs> but look at you, Milan. You've noticed it. You've spotted the wrongness. The first Thrandahar in 50 generations to do so. Do you know how happy that makes me? She wailed, her proboscis whistling in its distress. But what can I do? I don't know how to stop it, she replied, staring at the ground. I'm only one Thrand. There's nothing I can do except refuse to go. And they won't let me do that, not know I'm captain. Silence. Slowly, she raised her eyes back to the doctor. To her surprise, he was smiling. I think you'll find, he said, his eyes twinkling. It's a lot easier to do the right thing than you expect. They're a good lot, the people of Earth. Deep down, anyway. They? The people of Earth. They're a good lot. She swallowed. This didn't make sense. Why would he talk about them in the third person? Unless... You're not one of them, are you? Her voice seethed with the accusation. You're not a monkey! The smile fell from the doctor's face. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I didn't quite mean... You're not! She shouted, trumpeting in anger. You've been lying to me! What are you? Something else? And the monkeys! They're just stupid monkeys after all! Well, none of us are exactly who we seem, are we? You're right. I'm not from Earth. I'm a Time Lord. And... a Time Lord? She'd heard of them. Interminable do-gooders, always interfering. And this one had stolen the monkeys meant for her study and filled her mind with lies and deceit. Of course he was a Time Lord. It all made sense. Well, if he thought he could manipulate her, it had nearly worked, but she was far too clever for him. It ends here, Doctor. She snarled, all four fists clenched in anger. Tomorrow we go to Terra, to the Monkey Planet. And by the time we finished... She narrowed her eyes at the deceitful being in front of her. It won't be their planet, or yours anymore. It will be mine. How many fail, Milan? She stared at him. What? How many of your invasions fail? He repeated. Do they teach you that, your tutors? None, of course, she replied. They always won. Everyone knew. None, of course, the doctor said. They'd never lie to you about a thing like that. So, no chance it's a numbers game, then? She turned, tall, proud and haughty, as a Thrandahar captain should be, even though inside she was near bursting with the sadness and betrayal of it all. 
and ran from the place as fast as etiquette would allow. As she slammed through the doors at the monkey house's entrance, the doctor called out to her. I'm not giving up on you, Milan. I never give up on people I know can walk the higher path. She snorted with derision and misery. It was nonsense, that was all. Palpable, insulting nonsense. But that knowledge did nothing to make her feel better. Years later in the life of her planet, but only a few weeks of cold sleep on board the Cultural Exchange Force's invasion ships, found Milan at last on the planet of the monkeys. But not in the way that had been planned. The tutors had been very clear. Only a small force was needed to subdue a planet. Twenty Thranderhoth, that was all that were required to take on a planet of billions. It was down to the flowers, they said. A newly created genus of modified Snatch Dragon, far stronger and more aggressive than the vines she'd met climbing the walls of the monkey house. Just a couple of those, the tutors said, could swarm across a world in days and decimate the populace. The planet would be theirs for the taking. She'd been given a force of five, nothing like the promised twenty. The hegemony was just too successful, the tutor said, and there simply weren't enough troops. But that was still more than enough, they declared. You'll be fine, her uncle from the upper echelons of the military said. She began to suspect that the Terran campaign did not have the full attention of the hegemon. But the tutors assured her that wasn't the case. After all, what could possibly go wrong with the new snatch dragons? The atmosphere on Terra, it transpired, was somewhat polluted, and the modified Snatch Dragons died rather than thrived. Stupid monkeys, not able to keep their world clean, the tutor said over the comms link. Stupid us for not thinking of that, thought Milan, but she said nothing back. And now, with no Snatch Dragons and a force of only six, Milan found herself backed into a corner in a remote monkey farmhouse on a moor by a small, yes, small, band of monkey military personnel. They referred to themselves across primitive radio links so easily intercepted as a unit. On the third day, the world went quiet. They had been at an impasse from the beginning. Her forces were pinned down, sure, but similarly they had suffered only a little. One casualty, and he was only wounded. It was almost as if the monkeys didn't really know how to fight. Or possibly didn't want to. What are we going to do? Private Alberdi, her erstwhile friend from the nursery, asked. How are we going to win? We're not. We're going to surrender. She replied shortly. An unthinkable act for Thranderhar. If we're lucky, they'll put us in a zoo. Alberdi looked at her incredulously, but the look of defeat in her eyes showed she meant every word. Defeated too, he went back to the rest of the invasion force, all three of them plus the invalid, to inform them. Alone, and solely, she knew, responsible for the situation, Milan stepped out from the ruined, shelled wall they'd been sheltering behind, four hands and a proboscis held high in supplication. 
It wasn't the barrel of a gun that she found herself facing, however, nor ranks of soldiers ready to clap irons on them, not even a primitive with a bow and arrow. Instead, sitting in the driving seat of a yellow open-topped vehicle was a monkey female. A girl, flatter of face and fewer of hand, but essentially the same as her. A girl. It, she, smiled. Hello, she said. Shall we stop fighting now? The girl gave her water. You can't have drunk anything for days, poor you. And a local delicacy to eat that was utterly delicious. Cheese and onion crisps. Not much, but it'll have to do for now. And then the two sat down to talk. She said that her name was Joe. I have this friend, she continued. He usually knows what to do in these circumstances, but he's away at the moment, more's the pity. But we can still talk, can't we? He always says we must give everyone the chance to show they can walk the higher path. Of course, that means we have to show we can too. Milan eyed the girl suspiciously. This friend of yours, she asked, the one who said that. Does he have a name? He's called the Doctor, the girl said brightly, and he's ever so wise. Always knows what to do to make things work out, even if it takes him years and years and years. Milan snorted to herself, the first time she'd laughed properly in years. Yes, she thought, I think that just might be the case. Milan saw the doctor one last time. Many more years had passed and things were very different. The days of the hegemony were over and she was now more scholarly than military. An expert on the culture and especially the cuisine, well, the crisps, of their newest allies, the Terrans. The monkey house had been dark for years, ever since she returned. It would, after all, be impolite to keep allies in a zoo or even admit to ever having done such a thing. And she had been avoiding it too. She was ashamed and didn't want reminding. At one time, while visiting the menagerie with some of her students, it occurred to her she ought to go, just to see. Hello, Milan, he said as she approached his cage. Hello, doctor, she replied. You're still here then? Oh, not for long, he said. I just dropped in to say goodbye and congratulations, of course. See? One Thrand can make a difference. It's not the Thrand, she said. It's the lessons the Thrand has learned. Well, I think that's probably true for all of us. She fixed his gaze. But you taught me. That's the thing. Years and years and years. And you've been here the whole time. Just to teach me a lesson. Well, not just you, the whole Thrandahar race. And, uh, you know, it's probably not been as long as it might seem. He tapped the side of his small nose as if passing on a confidence, although Milan was not sure what it was. She turned and looked around the empty environments. Where are the others, uh, the male and the two female monk, uh, Terrans? 
Have you sent them home too? Oh, well, you could say that, the doctor replied. They've gone inside, and he indicated the narrow blue sleeping shed at the back of his cage. Milan snorted with derision. <laughs> In there? There's no room. Oh, he smiled. I think you might be surprised. Tenderly, he reached through the bars of the cage to stroke Milan's proboscis. An overly familiar gesture, but one that was acceptable, they both knew, between friends. And then he tipped his beige hat to her, turned and walked through the blue doors and into the shed. And then, with a wheezing, groaning sigh, and like anything Milan had ever heard before, well, what happened? She refused to speak of, lest she be called mad. But when her students finally found her, she was still laughing with delight, harder than she'd ever laughed in her life.